University. I know it's been a while since we've talked about our work here, and, and thank you for what you do in supporting us. And that's on us, that's not on you. And so I want to spend just a few minutes kind of giving you a snapshot of where we are, let you know what's going on with the university. Uh, and, and the backstory there, if you've not been around Savannah long, if you've not been a part of the congregation long, this church has been working with us to train preachers and Bible teachers and missionary missionaries for years and years and years. And uh, folks like Steve Worley, uh, folks like Sheila, if you want an unbiased or a... Um, I guess a, a, a perspective from somebody who's not on staff, talk with one of them. Uh, my friend Mike Baker is in the audience tonight, his wife Carla from over in Nashville. Uh, Mike is one of our graduates as well, and I know he has spoken here on your series. Uh, but we have been doing the same thing since 1971, and so we'll spend just a few minutes talking about that tonight. One thing we always like to remind friends of is the reason that you're involved with school like Heritage Christian University is because it's all about souls. In fact, when you look down your missions budget, what, what you do as a church, anything that's going on with you personally and individually, the reason we get involved in mission efforts is because there are souls who need to be saved. There are people who do not yet know about Jesus. They've not yet heard the good news. And so there are souls who need to be saved. Our role in that is preparing those who are going to go out and help prepare others for eternity. And so when you think about Heritage Christian, sometimes folks will ask, well, what about your business department, and what about your education program, and what about... All we do is one thing. Every student at Heritage Christian is a Bible major, either in an undergraduate program or in the graduate program, but we're only offering degrees under the umbrella of ministry, under the umbrella of biblical studies, and so what we're doing is preparing people for ministry. It truly is all about souls. That's our mission statement. I'm not going to read that because you can read. But the idea is we get up every day thinking about two things. One... Where will we find that next person who has an interest in ministry, an interest in preaching, an interest in going to the mission field? So where will we find that next student? And then, secondly, where will we find the next or the, the resources necessary to help that person make his or her way through school? And so it's undergraduate studies, it's graduate studies, and one thing that we've recently added to our mission statement is the idea of continuing education. We want to be a resource to the church. Uh, and so one of the things that's just occurred, uh, that may, well, it's not too blurry. We've sensed that there's a need, uh, sometimes small congregations, they want quality teaching. They want a summer series, kind of like you're going to have, that has a lot of great speakers and a lot of quality material, but maybe they're small, maybe they can't afford that, maybe they're too remote to bring people in. And so one of the things that's just happened is we've launched a 13-lesson video series. It's on the church, and it features our faculty, it features our staff. Uh, video lessons of about 25 minutes, accompanying uh, PDF files with uh, study guides. And we're making that available free of charge. The only thing we're charging for is if a church calls up and says, we want you to send us printed paper. Well, we're going to charge them a nominal fee for that. But that went out about two, three weeks ago. When I left on Friday, we've had about 275 requests for this video series. There is a hunger and there's a need for quality material. And so under the continuing education umbrella, uh, this video series is one of the things that we're doing. Uh, 
I work in advancement. And we joke with people because sometimes people say, well, what is that? What does that mean? And years ago, we just called it fundraising. And that sounds kind of cold. And so somewhere along the way, somebody came with, with the idea of, let's call it development because you're developing, you know, you're, you're, you're making headway for the school. Well, when people caught on to the idea that that really meant fundraising also, then somebody said, well, maybe the term advancement would kind of throw them off the trail for a while longer. And we joke about that. But, but my role is relationship building. And in one sense, it is raising funds so that we can train our students. But when I start talking to people about what I really do, what I like to talk to them about are our students, the success stories that, that we're helping create, that you're helping create as a partner with us. Uh, Will and Hannah Martin, uh, a profile of a traditional age student. Will came to us as a very young guy. He came to us through Titus Camp. That's our preacher training camp. A number of you know Ray Reynolds. Ray preaches down in Gulf Shores. And Ray is a graduate of ours from the late 90s. Well, Ray had a dream about 2005 of creating a preacher training camp where guys would come in and work hard for a full week and then take what they'd worked on out on Sunday and preach what they'd worked on in a local church. And so we started with 12 guys back in 2005. Well, today we bring in 40 young men, 30 young ladies. They arrive on a Sunday. They work hard all week, things like... How do you prepare a lesson? How do you go to the library and do the research that you need to do to put that lesson together? And then how do you make that lesson have some, some flow to it? And how do you study the Bible? It, it is an intensive week. Now, they do some fun stuff too. But they arrive on Sunday, they do all that, and then the following Sunday, two young men, a young lady and a chaperone, go to a local congregation. The two young men preach. The young lady will teach a ladies' class or a children's class. And then they come back to Heritage for a graduation at 2 o'clock. We've been doing that camp for about 10 years now. The cost of the camp to the student is $25. And so if you know of anybody who's ever thought about maybe ministry is my thing, send them to Titus Camp because we can really help them decide if that's going to be for them. So Will came to us. He's from Lewisburg. He, is, he was a member at the Westview Congregation, but he came to us through Titus Camp. And so he came through Titus Camp for four, five years, then rolled right in as a student. He just graduated. He was one of the 31 who earned degrees this uh, week ago Saturday. And he's now preaching at the Mimosa Congregation in Fayetteville, Tennessee. So he's one of the young men that your support has helped uh, his wife, Hannah, has also taken classes. She's going to be a great preacher's wife, and so we're excited for them. The other thing we specialize in, though, is career transition. Because we realize sometimes a young student needs a more traditional college experience, and we get that. We're not always the best fit for everyone. But we do a lot of career transition. And, and I kind of identify with my friend Jordan Gray. He's from Birmingham, Alabama. He was a deacon at the Roebuck Parkway congregation down there. But Jordan was an accountant. And that's why I identify with him. I was an accountant before I got into ministry. And so he's a deacon at the church. He's getting busier and busier in church work. He is very active. And he starts to have this thought process that a lot of our students have had that, 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 that's what's brought them our way. My secular work is fine, but if I could ever find a way to transition my life from where I am into ministry, that's where my heart is. So, well, that's Jordan's story. Now, you see, he's got four precious children there. Kids like to eat. And so when you've got a successful career going, 
and a big family, and you're thinking about ministry over here, you, you start thinking, well, how in the world could I ever get from where I am in ministry over to where, or where I am in, in the corporate world? How could I get ready for ministry? How could I make that transition? Well, we help people do that. Our recruiters worked with Jordan. Uh, they set him up with a scholarship that he needed. They found him a, a congregation near us to work with while he's in school. Because he had a degree, he went straight into the graduate program. But Jordan's going to be a good one. And again, he's one of the success stories that you're helping create through your support of what we do. There are some of our materials out in the lobby, and you can pick those up if you're interested. But one of the things we've been very concerned about is student debt. And this is something that is a, it's a challenge across higher education. It's a challenge for private institutions. It's a, it's a challenge for public institutions. And the scenario that we're seeing over and over today is this. Young person goes to college. Young person earns a degree. Young person graduates. And then upon graduation, it's like they immediately have a house payment on their hands. Problem is, they don't have a house. In too many cases, they've just got a large pile of student debt. We've been concerned about that because we're training preachers. And we're, we're, we're preparing folks where they may come in thinking, well, I want to go work with a, a church and I want to do local work and I want to work with a big church and I want a big salary. And then they get in front of our, some of our teachers where these teachers are starting to instill this passion within them for evangelism and a passion for going and doing the work wherever it needs to be done. And so before long, this guy who thought he had a plan, suddenly his heart is, when I get done, I want to go out west somewhere where there's, there's a church needing to be planted and I want to plant that church, or I want to go out of the country, and I want to do mission work. And so a lot of times these guys, they're signing on for a direction where they're probably going to have to go raise some of their money to do the work they want to do. And we don't need debt to be holding them back. And so uh, the Christian Chronicle featured an article on this. The Legacy Scholarship was born out of that. The idea that if a student can come and study with us on campus, they apply for Pell, and if there's Pell money, we apply that to tuition, but then we're doing a full tuition scholarship for anything not covered by Pell. Doesn't make school free, but if you can get tuition out of the way and just leave living expenses, that's huge. The other thing that it does, sometimes and especially with career transition, when somebody's thinking about preaching, they'll look at a school of preaching where you go, there's no tuition, you just pay your living expenses. Problem is, and of course we tell guys, if you're passionate about a certain school of preaching, you need to go there. But what we want to do is offer them the accredited college degree so that when they earn that, then if they want to continue their education, they've got many more options. And so the, the, the uh, Legacy Scholarship allows them to hopefully, our dream is for students to graduate debt-free. Two new scholarships are launching this fall. Legacy 2 is for our graduate students, those who are in the master's program. Sometimes they're working with congregations already. Sometimes they're making that career transition. And so that'll be... Um, Another strong scholarship, it's new and I don't even have all the details with me on it tonight. And the other one we're calling the Tent Maker Scholarship. Some people can't come to campus and our distance, like in the fall, we were half and half, half distance, half campus. The Tent Maker Scholarship will offer our undergrad students a half scholarship to come and study with us. And so every student needs a scholarship and so those are some of the differences that we're trying to make for our students. This is an old graphic, but I show it to you to help you understand what our instructors try to do with our students. The point I want you to get, the print's too small to read, but what I want you to take away from the, from the slide 
is the idea that, that faculty and staff, they do God's work all over the globe. And what they do is they bring that into the classroom. When I was a business student, my favorite instructor was the one who he taught in the morning, and in the afternoon he was in, a, he was in an accounting firm. He was a partner in a large ca- accounting firm. He was out doing work in the real world. And what that allowed him to do is he brought a lot of the real world into the classroom for us as business students. I see the same thing happening with our instructors at Heritage. Every class that I've been in, it's real world, and they instill within our students a passion for ministry. Uh, You have a bit of our report card on the handout tonight, and that's why I brought the other handout with me. It's got our our Christian service record for 2014. Uh, This past uh, week and a half ago, 31 students earned degrees. Our enrollment this past year was 115 students. And you say, wow, that sounds small. But that's 115 Bible majors, people who are going into the pulpits, people who are going into youth ministry, people who are going into the mission field. Every student, a Bible major. So we graduated 31, 222 baptisms last year, and you can see the rest of the report card, the work, the evangelistic work of faculty, staff, and students. And then our alumni are serving in 38 states in 22 countries, and that's a work that you here at Savannah have been involved in for a long time, and so we thank you for what you do in supporting us. Uh, Some of you may not have been down to campus. It's basic. It's not overbuilt. It is there to get preachers ready to preach. That's our main Bible building where you drive in. Uh, The dorm that was built in 2007. And then the library... One of the finest theological libraries in the southeast. In fact, you hardly ever walk in there that there's not a preacher from the community in using our library. And that is open to you. If you're ever down Florence Way and you're needing some resources, please come and use our library. The last thing I'll mention is the Heritage event. August 22nd, we do one large fundraiser each year where we bring in celebrity entertainment. And so this year it's Robert Herkovec of Shark Tank fame and the Oak Ridge Boys. And I know some of you have already said you're planning to be there. I can promise you this. If you come to our event once, you'll want to come every year. We do it at the Marriott. It is a fine evening. And you can do it where you come down and spend the whole weekend or you can show up just in time for the show. But if you've not been to the Marriott, we're really blessed to have that facility there in Florence. And so there are brochures about the heritage event out there in the lobby. If you know of somebody who's thinking about ministry, please have them consider as one of their options. Have them take a look at what we're doing at Heritage. We may be the best fit for them. We may not be. What I always tell folks is this. If we get somebody interested in preaching and then we help them find the school that fits them best, that's the win for the kingdom. And that's what we're about. And if we'll do that, if we'll just be encouraging guys to get involved in ministry and then help them find the place that fits them best, all of our schools will get the students that they need. And so I hope you'll be active in encouraging somebody to preach. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes tonight. Okay, I'm turning the clicker over to you all in the back. Maybe we'll avert disaster again that way. And again, if you've got your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 14. Now, we talked this morning about the relentless pursuit of all, and then I visited with, um, we were visiting at lunch, and um, I, I've got to revise that sermon because something flew right past me that shouldn't have, and uh, so we're going to work on that. But the idea is, I believe we want to do better. And we want God to use us to allow us to do more for Him. But I think there's questions that are worth asking, you know, what if God wants to do more with me 
that I've been open to allowing Him to do? And what if within me there is untapped potential? In other words, God knows what's going on. God knows the potential that is within me. But I haven't been open to allowing Him to use what's within me. And more serious than those first two questions are this, is this. What if... What if somebody doesn't hear the good news about Jesus because of what I didn't feel like I could do in the kingdom? And sometimes we feel like there's not enough times and sometimes or enough times sometimes we get frustrated we look at somebody who's very talented and we say well you know if I had the talent of so and so then maybe I could do more in the kingdom I want to talk for a few minutes about Barnabas tonight and we we don't talk a lot about him as an individual we almost always will talk about Paul when we talk about Barnabas. It's almost like Paul's the Lone Ranger, Barnabas is Tonto, and you hardly ever find one without the other. But in Barnabas, man, we see some amazing qualities. And, and in one sense, he's kind of a rock star of Scripture. But in Acts chapter 14, the reason he's successful, there's a word from God in Acts chapter 14, and this is the first missionary journey coming to an end, and it is Paul and Barnabas on this journey, they're concluding it, and so in verse 21 they're preaching, they're making many disciples, verse 22 they're strengthening the souls of disciples, they're encouraging people, verse 23 they're appointing leadership in the church, and then you get to verse 27, they get back to Antioch, and I want you to notice what the Bible says. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how He'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, you might say, oh, it's just semantics. But I think it's significant the way verse 27 is worded. Because notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say that Paul and Barnabas, they get back to Antioch and they begin to talk about all the things they did. It says they got back to Antioch and they began to talk about all the things that God had done with them. And see, I think that's significant because that leads us to the, the big idea. What I want you to get from tonight's lesson, if you don't get anything else, the idea is this. If we will make ourselves available to God like tools in the hands of a master craftsman, God can use us too, just like He did Barnabas and just like He did Paul. And I love that analogy because we could bring some tools in here tonight, maybe woodworking tools, and I could take those tools and I could create a mess. You might take those same tools and create a masterpiece. And see, the idea is it's not about the tools. It's about who's using the tools. And so again, if we make ourselves available to God and allow God to use us, great things can happen. So here's what I want to do in the few minutes that we have tonight. I want us to notice Barnabas and I want us to notice some characteristics in his life and then I want to challenge all of us to be more active in one way and then the lesson will be yours. What we're trying to avoid, and I've got to read this because, well, you'll understand when I read it why I've got to read it. But there's something we want to avoid. We want to avoid the, uh, the story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And this was from Charles Swindle in his book, Strengthening Your Grip. He said there was an important job to do, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. 
Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. See why I had to read that? I wouldn't try to memorize that. And it's kind of a funny little story, but, but what we want to be are the kind of people where we don't fall into that trap of looking around and wondering why somebody else didn't do something. Okay, so what do we see in Barnabas? We're going to notice five things. First, Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was a generous person. Now, in discussions after, after morning worship, at least two of our Bible classes this morning, we were talking about generosity. We were talking about being good stewards. And at least two of our classes, well, Barnabas is a generous guy. You may remember the end of Acts chapter 4, and this is right in front of that disaster with Ananias and Sapphira that we talked about a few weeks ago. But verse 36 of Acts 4 says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I don't know why God chose to list Barnabas by name as being generous. It might be to set up the contrast between what's going to happen next with Ananias and Sapphira. It may be God saying, okay, here's the right way, this is Barnabas. Here's the wrong way, here's Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know, we're not told. But we do know he's a generous guy. He's got an asset that he can, take, he can part with that and he puts that into ministry. Please hear me. When it comes to generosity, sometimes we limit our thinking to money and things financial. And I think we do ourselves and we do God's church a disservice if we start thinking that way. And let me illustrate it this way. In Scripture, during the life of Christ, in, in studying about Jesus, how many times in the New Testament do you see Jesus writing a check? Well, you don't. Well, they didn't write checks. But would you say Jesus was generous? Well, absolutely. See, our most valuable resource is our time. We've, we've all got some amount. If we wake up tomorrow, theoretically, we've all got the same amount for the day. We can be generous with our time. And we can be generous with our money. But we have other resources that we can be generous with. It may be our talent. But we can be generous, like Barnabas. Number two... Acts chapter 9, Barnabas is a guy who's willing to believe the best. And as we think about this, it's almost ironic for all the great things that Saul, who would later be called Paul, was able to accomplish in the kingdom. Were it not for Barnabas, a lot of that might not have ever happened. Now, am I the only person in the room who finds it very easy to believe the worst about folks. Now, you don't have to raise hands, but, but am I right? I mean, don't we? We're pretty good at that. We can see something and we can say, have our questions and we can have our doubts. We're really good sometimes at, at believing the worst. But it is a talent, it is a blessing when we cultivate the ability and the self-discipline to believe the best about folks. Saul's a new Christian. And as a new Christian, Saul wants to show up and he wants to hang out and associate with other Christians. That's the normal thing you ought to want to do. But the Christians are kind of like we might be. Imagine that we've converted a known terrorist. And this terrorist has become a Christian 
And now this guy who used to be a terrorist wants to come and hang out with us. You know, how might we react? Well, we might be a little scared. We might be a little skittish. We might wonder if his conversion is real. We might wonder if he's just trying to get on the inside so he can set us up to do some harm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of human things that we might, ways we might react. Well, that's what's going on with Saul here in the New Testament. And so when you get to uh, verse 26 of Acts 9, the Bible says when he, talking about Saul, came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing it was a disciple. But Barnabas, this guy who believes the best, took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road and and that he had talked to him and how Damascus he'd spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. You can picture this. You can see Barnabas grabbing Saul by the arm, hooking him by the, the, the arm and saying, come on, we're going in there. We need to be those kind of people. Now, what stops us from believing the best? Well, the problem with believing the best is, if I believe the best about you, I'm putting my neck on the line. Because if I believe the best about you, and I endorse you in some way, and something goes wrong, people are going to look at me. Because sometimes we don't want that pressure. We don't want something coming back on us. So we'll, we'll withhold in believing the best. But Barnabas does that. And if we want to allow God to use us, if we'll start believing the best about folks, man, God can bless our efforts when we do that. Number three, he is a preacher and a disciple maker. And this gets us back to Acts chapter 14 where we began. And there are a number of verses we could notice. But just notice verse 21. Now this is Paul and Barnabas working together. But the Bible says, And they, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. See, in a room this size, I'm convinced that there's somebody in here that God could use to be a preacher. But maybe you've never thought about that. I mean, maybe you've just never been open to the idea, well, maybe that could be me. And even if it's not a preacher, there's, there's this idea that, that, that a lot, there's many ways to be involved in making disciples. We were just in a conversation a little bit ago about maybe some ladies who are interested in learning more about how to evangelize other women. Man, that's awesome. We need to be doing that. We need that kind of training. But we need to be open to allowing God to use us in that kind of a way. Sometimes we think, well, that could never be me. But if you visit with many preachers, one thing that you'll hear as you talk to them about early days, you'll hear some horror stories. Not horror stories, but you'll hear thanksgiving and gratitude for the people who put up with them in the early days. I guess that's the way to say it. We had a benefit dinner down in Dallas back in the fall, and our speaker was Robert Oglesby, who is, uh, has just retired from the Waterview Church of Christ in Richardson. He's the only pulpit guy they've had in their 52 years of existence. You talk about a long-term ministry. But that he spoke for us, and he talked about his early days, and, and this successful, hugely successful preacher, he says, I'm so thankful for those people, and he named off the town and the church that, that put up with me when I really didn't know what I was doing. I don't know what Barnabas, the first time he preached a sermon, I don't know what it sounded like. It probably wasn't what he wanted it to be. But he was a preacher and a disciple maker. And God can use us if we're open to being used that way. 
Number four, Barnabas is an encourager. This is what he's known for. We already read Acts chapter 4 verse 36. And if you studied this at all, you realize Barnabas really wasn't his name. His name is Joseph. He's a Levite of Cyprian birth. But the Bible says he is so good at encouraging people that the disciples said, well, we're not going to call you Joseph. We're going to call you Barnabas because you're an encourager. He's got a nickname. Maybe you've got a nickname. That's what he's known for. You see him doing that time and time again. Acts 14, verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. When you're converting folks, we need to do the touchdown dance and we need to be happy that they're new Christians, but we also must be encouraging them and helping them understand. Sometimes we think, well, if somebody becomes a Christian, this is going to be easy from here. But sometimes when somebody becomes a Christian, it actually gets more difficult for a while. And so we need to be... Encouraging people in their faith. Again, it's easy sometimes for us to believe the worst about people. And there's another one that we're pretty good at. And and it takes no... uh, Like, you can go for weeks without doing it, but you'll never get rusty. Am I the only one in the room that has a talent if I choose to use it for being able to tear people down? You know, we, we can be good at that. And we don't really have to have much training. And you understand how it works. We could meet somebody and about ten minutes later, if we, if we start thinking about it, we could start figuring out some ways to take some shots at a person. There's just something about the human experience. It's hard to have the self-discipline to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be the kind of person who wants to tear people down. I'm going to be the kind of person who's going to build people up. And not false flattery or anything like that, but genuine, genuine encouragement. Because see, that's a talent that God can use every day. Uh, Ben talked about valleys this morning. People walking through valleys need encouragement. Because when people are in the bottom of the valley, that might be the time where they're tempted to throw in the towel. To give up, to say enough's enough. Christian living's too hard. So when they're in the valleys, they need to be encouraged. People new converts, as we said, need to be encouraged. People who are close to obeying the gospel need to be encouraged. They know what they need to do. They've been taught. They're, they're sitting on the fence. They're thinking about it. They need to be encouraged. But God can use us when we choose to encourage others. And then finally, the last one we'll notice about Barnabas tonight is from Acts chapter 15. We see him portrayed as a peacemaker and Actually, you have to give credit to both Paul and Barnabas in this case. But there's an interesting thing that happens, and you've studied this. You know how it... Under, you, you, the first missionary journey is complete. They start talking about making a second journey. Let's go back and check on some of these churches. Let's check on some of these new Christians. And so Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, uh-uh, we're not taking that guy. Now, we already established Barnabas is the guy who believes the best about others. You remember, John Mark was the guy who on the first journey, he didn't finish the work. He went home. He didn't complete it. And and so Paul's saying, no, we're not taking that guy because we may get him out there again. He may desert us again. He deserted us before. And so I I don't want him with me. And Barnabas is saying, no, I think he'll be all right this time. And the Bible says that there occurred, and this is verse 39, such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Two rock stars of Scripture. And I hope you don't 
feel like I'm using that term in a bad way. These are famous guys. Two famous guys in Scripture, and they're disagreeing. Sometimes we're going to have disagreements. Just part of being a family. But the Bible is interesting in Acts 15 for what it doesn't say. Because there's nothing in Acts 15 about they had a sharp disagreement and Barnabas went over here and started talking to his people and started building his alliance. And Saul went over, or Paul went over there and started talking to his people and building his alliance. And before long, they split the church. I go lots of places talking about the need for us as a brotherhood to prepare more preachers. But see, there's a dark side to the need for more preachers. And the dark side to the need for more preachers is we've got churches, we've got congregations, and they don't exist because there was really a need for a church right there where they are. There's, a, there's this thing that's happened where I disagreed with Ben, and Ben and I, we couldn't get along. And so instead of having one strong church, Ben has a church and now I've got a church. That's the dark side to the need for more preachers. Here's what you get from Acts chapter 15. They did disagree, but in the end, God's work continued, and there was not any kind of a negative effect on the church. We're going to have our disagreements, but when we choose to be peacemakers, when we choose to find the solutions where the church can continue in a strong way, God can use that every time. And so as we get ready to finish this tonight, you may be thinking, well, of course, God can use a guy like Barnabas. I mean, look at him. He's, he's probably never committed a sin. He's probably never done anything wrong. If I was talented like he was, then you know, God could maybe use me too. Again, I want you to go back to where we began. I'm, my, my point is, God wasn't using Barnabas simply because Barnabas was talented. God's using Barnabas because Barnabas made himself available to God. And all of us can make ourselves available in one way or another. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And this is the verse I want to use to challenge us all in one big way tonight. And then I'll mention the ways that this can bless the church and we'll be done. This is Paul writing, of course. But he says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word... Proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I remember being young, and I can remember hearing preachers or Bible class teachers talk about this verse, and we would talk about no unwholesome word, and I can remember thinking, okay, there's a list of words that I should not use, and a lot of them are four-letter words, and so these words are off limits, and obviously there are some words that we shouldn't use, but at some point, it finally occurred to me that if we start really talking about letting no unwholesome word proceed from the mouth other than only words that are good for edification and good for building up, see, if I'm going to live that one out, then I've got to start thinking about things like criticism, and I've got to start thinking about things like gossip, and things like tearing down, and, and things like negativity. You know, negativity is powerful in all the wrong ways. You've probably had this happen, or maybe you've been tempted, maybe you haven't. You're in heart, and you see that person rounding the corner that you don't want to have a 15-minute conversation with, 
And hopefully you, you think, I think I saw them before they saw me, so you dart the other way. And the reason you don't want to talk to them is because everything's negative. Everything's wrong. Everything's a problem. Negativity is powerful, but in all the wrong ways. And so if I'm going to live this out, this no unwholesome word, but only such a word as is good for edification, God can use that. And all of us can be better at encouraging. And a lot of you are great at it. That You all have been very encouraging to me and to the preaching. And so I know you do this. But God can use it. The more we do it, the more God can use it. Our families need encouragement. You know, we go home and we live with folks, the people we love most. And sometimes we forget to encourage the people that we're closest to because maybe we've taken them for granted, but our spouses need to be encouraged. Our children need to be encouraged. Parents need a word of encouragement from time to time. Our church families need encouragement. People who don't yet know Jesus need to be encouraged. See, and, and maybe you're the person who through your word of encouragement you can, you can help somebody reach his or her potential. One thing we've noticed in recruiting people who are going to preach the gospel and recruiting them into school, one thing we've noticed that in almost every case in recruiting a preacher, there has been somebody that's been a very strong encourager of that person. You know, your word of encouragement to a young man might make the difference in him deciding to be a preacher. Think about it this way. Think about your favorite preacher. And that may be somebody who's still living. It may be somebody who's already passed away. But, but think about whoever it is, your favorite preacher, and then ask yourself this question. What if no one had ever encouraged your favorite preacher to be a preacher? What might be the downstream ramifications of that? How many people today who are Christians might not be Christians had your favorite preacher not been encouraged to preach the gospel? Maybe... Maybe you wouldn't be a Christian tonight. All I'm saying is, when we choose to encourage somebody, it's powerful. And we may, we may offer a word of encouragement to somebody. We may not remember two weeks later that we did that. But the person that we've encouraged, they may remember what we've said to them for the rest of their lives. It's that powerful. And see, when we start talking about this, these things, it can help us in all the areas that we're supposed to be about. We've got this idea that, that as family, we need to be built up. We need to stay faithful. God's plan for saving the saved is that He gives us each other to help each other go to heaven. And so when we start becoming great at encouraging each other, we help another go to heaven. Maybe your talent in encouraging is going to that person who's fallen away. That brother or sister, you maybe even can picture the seat that they used to sit in in this room where it's not that they went to another church, they're just not in church. Well, maybe your word of encouragement, maybe your talent is being able to go to that person and say, listen, we love you, God loves you, God wants you to be back in your place. That's hard work, but maybe that's your talent. And then when we become great at encouraging, we can also become more effective in evangelizing. See, people need to be encouraged. They need to be told that they're valuable. They need to be told that God loves them. They need to be told that there's a God who cares about them. They need to be told there's a church family that's ready to love them. When we become great at encouraging, we can become more effective in reaching out and evangelizing. And so if we'll work on this one thing... God can use it to bless the church. 
in many, many, many different ways. I'm thankful for men like Barnabas. I'm thankful for what we learn in Scripture from men like him. And while we may never be rock stars of Scripture like Barnabas was, one thing about Barnabas that I think is worth noting, God doesn't call us to be just like him. He calls us to do what we can where we are. It's not about being famous. It's about being faithful. And in that regard, I'll leave you with my friend Gary tonight. Gary worked a job, got up, went to work like you and I, uh, most of us do every day. He's now retired. But, but, so Gary had a life where he got up, he went to work. But then Gary would spend some of his free time encouraging others. He'd go down to the nursing home. He'd love on people and he'd, he'd talk to them and spend time with them, invest time into them. He'd share Jesus with them. And Gary's one of these guys, if he got up and he led prayer for us tonight, his, he's never going to be a preacher because he, he doesn't talk eloquently. But because of Gary's interest in encouraging somebody else, when we bury Thomas Evans, we were able to bury Thomas Evans as a Christian. When Thomas Evans passed from this life, he didn't, he didn't pass away as a lonely guy in a nursing home who didn't know Jesus because Gary invested some time into Thomas Evans. When we buried Thomas, we, bur- we buried Thomas as a faithful child of God. It's not about being famous like a Barnabas or like a Paul. It's about simply being faithful and doing what we can, where we can, allowing God to use us in His work. The song that's been selected in Trust and Obey... If you need your church family to be an encouragement to you tonight, maybe you're walking through one of those valleys, if you need your church family to be praying for you in some way, you can let that be known tonight. And one thing we don't often talk about, a prayer request doesn't have to happen because you've come forward and during the invitation, get with one of the shepherds and let them know you need prayer and they'll pray with you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Christ. And let me encourage you, if that's what you know you need to do, it's 10 minutes till 7. Man, if it takes till 7.30, there's no better way for us to spend however much time it takes than to see you be born into the kingdom of God. If you need to do that tonight, I hope you'll make that decision. If you have a need, let that be known while we stand and while we sing. When we walk.